seat. We're going to let our children go back to children's church. And uh, thank you, praise team and band for leading us. Aren't they a gift to us, my, my brothers and sisters? Yeah, they are. Yeah, we can clap for them. Let's do it. We're thankful for y'all. Oh, man. Let's do this. Let's bow before the Lord again. Uh, Lord, uh, we think about what is necessary of us is to bow before you. But Lord, what's so beautiful is you're the king who would say, stand right up. Look at me eye to eye. Here, come, come, come sit beside me and talk to me. You're not the king who says, stay away from me and don't look at me and know your role. Your son Jesus has shown us that we have entrance into your throne room. That we can come boldly before you. That's the king who you are. And we thank you for that. And look, what's, what's amazing is that that makes us want to bow even more. <laughs> you say stand up and we get humbled by your grace. You're good, God. Uh, Lord, we pray. We pray that today our worship of you has been true, has been received by you as a sweet-smelling savor, Lord. Uh, God, we pray that uh, you will continue to give us hearts that worships you even as we leave this place. Uh, Lord, as we come to your word, we look to hear your voice. Uh, we're listening for you, God. And so, Lord, we ask you that you would speak to us, giving us all that we need. All that we need to face all the realities that we will be presented with this week. That we can do so in the character and the courage of your son Jesus through your spirit. Uh, Lord, we pray. We pray these things. Lord, I pray for me specifically that you will speak uh, not only through me, uh, I will receive what you have to say as well. And then, Lord, I pray that everything that I say will be true. Uh, it will not be my own opinion, my own consideration, but it will be that which your spirit speaks. Lord, I pray and I ask these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. So over the past few weeks, we've been thinking of this quote uh, that I read from Henry Nguyen. And uh, <clears throat> Henry Nguyen said uh, he was impressed that uh, the people that he 
that we meet in the first few chapters of Luke's gospel are all waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting. Why are they waiting? Because they received a promise. You're going to have a son. Uh, Mary is waiting. Why is she waiting? Because she received a promise. You're going to have a son. Uh, Simeon and Anna in the temple are waiting. Why are they waiting? Well, Simeon, we know, is waiting because he was told he would not die before he met the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the Ruler, the Anointed One. They're all waiting. And uh, now it goes on to point out uh, that waiting is interesting because it's not a very popular attitude. I'll read this quote for us again. Waiting is not something that people think about with great sympathy. Uh, as I've said the last few weeks, do you identify? In fact, most people consider waiting a waste of time. What say you? For many people, waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. Do you feel it? People do not like such a place. They want to get out of waiting by doing something. So we've been considering uh, this reality of waiting because we are in the season um, that uh, historically on the church calendar is called Advent. I know we like to celebrate Christmas leading up to Christmas in the West, but uh, traditionally you wouldn't celebrate Christmas until the birth of Jesus. And then you would begin the 12 days of Christmas, my true love gave to me. So many birds. So, so many birds, right? <laughs> but you would start celebrating Christmas, the day of Christmas. And, 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 and I know we, we have this kind of mixture, but, but, but for us, what we, what we want to do every year is remember Advent. Advent is the season in which you are anticipating, longing, looking for, waiting, waiting for the King. Now, we get to celebrate it a little bit differently because he has already come. And we know that. We live in the reality that each and every day, you and I wake up and we are, we are reminded each and every morning that we have been filled with the Spirit. That Jesus is present with us. And then we turn on the news and we remind ourselves and are reminded that he is with us and he is with so many people. And yet his kingdom still has yet to fully come. It's not here in full yet. So yes, we have joy and hope and mercy and grace and peace with, by which we are sustained each and every day. But there is also this longing. This longing in our heart. Waiting. Waiting that uh, we don't wake up to the news that somebody uh, took their life in a wooded area just on the other side of Friendswood. We long that people don't have such despair anymore. Uh, 
we, we are waiting to learn that the politicians haven't been bought out by the lobbyists, that they're actually serving the interests of the people, right? We're waiting for that. We're waiting to find out that parents aren't abusing their children anymore. We're waiting for, for those abusers to stop hiding and lying and to be vulnerable and accountable. We're waiting for those, those moments. We're waiting for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So we've discussed we are waiting, but for what? We're waiting for a promise. The fact that you and I are waiting is only due to Jesus saying, I, if I go, I will come again. That's, that's the whole reason why we have any reason to wait. Had Jesus said, I'm going away, I'm going to give you my spirit, I'm going to uh, 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 prepare you and equip you to live in this broken, ruinous world in which you are broken, ruinous part yourself, right? And I'm going to equip you to do that, and, 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 and then you're going to live the rest of your life and you're going to uh, die, and, and, and that's just the way things are, we would say, okay, not, not, not ideal, but we'll accept it. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, if I go, I will come again. And I will gather you unto myself, and we will go into the presence of the Father. And so for that, we wait. We wait for his coming again. Uh, last week... We, we discussed that while we are waiting and Christ is gone from us in person, Christ has promised to be present with us, not just in spirit, but in the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so we wait, yes, but we wait with Christ. Uh, this week, again, we want to pick up on one of those waiting people in Luke's gospel. And go back to John uh, chapter number 14, 15, and 16. Jesus' departure discourse with his disciples. And we want to say, okay, we are waiting. But here's the question. Are you and I known for waiting? Could you be identified as a waiting one, as it were? In Luke's gospel, Luke chapter number two, we meet all those waiters. One of the waiters that we meet is Simeon. And in Luke chapter number two, verse number 25, uh, Luke says this. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same was a just and devout man. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for Israel to be comforted. Uh, of course, you have to understand this. This is not a spiritual consolation that he's... He's not looking for an attaboy. He is looking for the nation of Israel, which had been oppressed for hundreds of years. Had been under another uh, nation's government... For hundreds of years 
He was waiting for that redemption. Think about us today. We are, we are longing that the war in Ukraine would be over. And you can look back into the history, and it's, it's a deep and it's gut-wrenching and disturbing history over the last hundred or more years how Russia has plagued uh, uh, Ukraine. The Ukrainian people who are longing for this oppression to cease are much like the people of Israel. They had long been under the rule. They were under the rule of the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and then the Medes and the Persians. Uh, Along came the the, the Greeks who ruled over them. At present, whenever we arrive to Luke chapter number 2, they're under the rule of the Romans. Uh, They're not first-class citizens. They don't have all the rights and freedoms uh, that you and I even uh, seem to enjoy. They are longing for Israel to be comforted. They want freedom from their oppression. Simeon was known as one who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Later on in the chapter, we meet another woman named Anna. And she was a prophetess. She was the daughter of Phanuel. She was of the tribe of Asher. She was old. She was of a great age. Hey, don't say you're old anymore. Say, I'm of a great age. All right, let me hear it. I'm of a great age. Uh, Our friend uh, turned 60 the other day. She said, it was a great day except for the fact that I turned 60. I said, well, you have to remember in history... That, like, if we think about this historically, that's a marvel that you arrived at 60 with such vitality and energy. You're of a great age. Say it. I'm of a great age. She was a widow of about four score and four years. She did not depart from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She came and she gave uh, uh, thanks unto the Lord when she saw Jesus. And she spoke of Jesus to all them that, and the translators say, looked for the redemption of Israel. That term looked, uh, that is translated as looked in verse number um, Verse number 38, thank you, is the same as the term that we have describing Simeon in verse number 25. Uh, This rare Greek word that is used only like a a dozen times throughout the New Testament. And so those who are, those who are, it, it, it could speak about people who are hospitable. They're accepting, they're receiving one into their home, receiving one into their care. But it also describes these people who have accepted and received a promise. They've received this promise and they're living their lives in anticipation of that promise being fulfilled. Simeon and the group of people 
or all the people that Anna told about Jesus, they were known as people who were waiting for the consolation and or the redemption of Israel. They were known as the waiting ones. How could you be identified as a waiting one? That's a question that I have whenever I read that. How do you know that these people are waiting? What characteristics do they have? What actions do they take? And then that leads me to another question. Because I have, a, I have, I have professed that my faith is in Jesus. And the profession of my faith means that I believe that Jesus, the one who was born in Bethlehem to the Virgin Mary, who was approved of men of doing mighty miracles while he was on this earth so that he could prove that he was the Son of God, yet they rejected him. They accused him and judged him as a liar. And they sentenced him to death. My testimony says that this Jesus rose from death on the third day. On the third day, he rose from death. And that revealed to, to those people then, and it reveals to all humanity today, that he is the king. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the ruling one that God had promised to the nation of Israel, who would not only rule over Israel, but he would rule over all the nations of this world. All nations would come before him, honoring him, obeying him, surrendering to his rule. Uh, my profession says that he, he was seen of his disciples for around 40 days. He walked with them, he ate with them, uh, he gave them more instruction. And then he ascended into heaven. And when we think about the term ascended, he didn't just disappear. He ascended to his throne. He took seat on his throne at the right hand of the Father of God. Or the Father God. And when he ascended... And before he ascended, he said, I'm going, but I'm coming again. And after he ascended, with his original followers, the original ones who had surrendered to him and said, you are my conquering, liberating king, and I will serve you. They stood gawking up into the heavens. Angels said to them, why are you looking into the heavens? This same Jesus who has been who has gone away from you, will come again in like manner. But we're not just to be standing there, staring up into the heavens. So that's point number one. We don't wait by standing there, staring up into the heavens. All right? That's not how you're known as a waiting one. How could you be identified as a waiting one? Because my profession of faith says that I trust in this king who has gone into a far country, but he's coming again. Well, we've been taking these stories of Luke 
that we have in Luke 1 and 2, and we've been studying Jesus' final departure discourse in John chapter number 14, 15, and 16. In John chapter number 13, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I'm about to leave, and they get really worried, and they get heavy-hearted, and they get sorrowful. Where are you going? Can we come with you? No, you can't. And he's trying to give them peace and comfort. And so there are good passages for us to read during this Advent season. In John chapter number 15, Jesus tells them, I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman or the vine dresser. He picks up on this image that is often used in the Old Testament of a vineyard. And the vineyard in the Old Testament is usually depicting Israel. We'll find it in Isaiah chapter number 5. But Jesus doesn't say Israel is the vine or the vineyard. He says, I am the vine. I am the vineyard. He picks up this image and he begins to instruct his disciples in this discourse where he's preparing them for his going away and how they should be while he is away, what they should be doing. So in my study, uh, knowing that the vineyard is a popular image in the Old Testament, and it's especially popular in Isaiah chapter number 5, I went over to Isaiah chapter number 5, and I began reading that text freshly. Because that's how we can study the Bible. Is we can pick up all these connections, and we can go, oh, 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 this isn't just an image that Jesus is using for the first time. He's picking up on an image that the people of Israel knew for a long time. In Isaiah chapter number 5, uh, the prophet says, I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. I'm going to sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved about his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard in a fruitful hill. He fenced it and he gathered out the stones thereof. He planted it with the choicest vine and he built a tower in the midst of it. He also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. So here's the story. The, my beloved has taken, taken great pains to prepare a great vineyard, which would have the choicest wine. He, he hedged it about with stones to keep out all the critters and any bandits. He, he, he got, got, got the soil cultivated just like it needed to be cultivated. He, he planted what he thought would be the best vines to produce the best fruit. He put this wine press in the midst of it because this was going to produce the world's greatest wine. What an image. Now, it's not a good image for a lot of Baptists because you've been told that you can't drink wine. So let's just say Dr. Pepper, okay? Right? 
And in ancient Israel, this was an image. Because they understood good wine. And they knew, okay, what's going to happen now? What happened with this vineyard? He prepared everything as it should be. It, it, this, we're, 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 we're waiting on the edge of earth. It's going to bring forth great wine. But this disruptive conjunction comes in. But he did everything that was necessary for the wine or for the vines to produce good grapes in the choicest wine. But, but, but what? Did bandits break in? Ah, oh, did, did, did part of the wall fall down and, and critters came in? And no, nope, none of that happened. But what happened? It brought forth, uh, in the King James Version, it says wild grapes. I was doing some study, and you could also call them stink berries. And I kind of like that, stink berries. He was looking for fresh, beautiful grapes, but it brought forth stink berries. Sour grapes. Wow. The vine did not produce, the vineyard did not produce Good grapes, it produced stink berries. The text goes on. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, consider, I pray you, betwixt me and the vineyard. The Lord asks, What? could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done it. Tell me, did I not give you everything you needed to produce good grapes? Did I leave anything lacking? You can think about the history of Israel. You can think about their history and their, their sad, sordid history where God intervened and worked miraculously and rescued them out of Egypt and he provided for them the law and he provided for them the kings whenever they wanted kings and he provided for them victories over their enemies and he provided for them everything that they needed. This law system that spoke of justice to the stranger and the foreigner to treat everybody like a neighbor. Not just the people who look like you, who act like you, who think like you. Not just the people who are in your, own, your, your social status. Not just the people who are your same ethnicity. Not the same people, the, the people who are your same sexuality. All the people you treat as a neighbor, this law system said. And, and he said, could I have given you anything more? Have I not done enough? We can think about Israel, but we need to think about our lives. Look in your life. Has God not given you enough that you could produce love and kindness and generosity towards people who are not in your same social status, your same political ideology, your same sexual orientation, 
your same race or ethnicity? Could he do more? Does he need to do more so that you will show kindness and love and grace to somebody who is completely other than you? He said, wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. Now, here's what's going to happen to the vineyard. I'm going to take away the hedge. I'm going to break down the wall. Here's what's going to happen. God said, I'm removing my defenses. Paul says in Romans chapter number one, here's the wrath of God. The wrath of God is that he lets us go our own way. You and I don't like to trust in a God who lets us go our own way. The gods that we make up, the gods that we pretend are true, and even if we put God, Yahweh's name on that God, they never let us go. That's not the God that we see revealed in Scripture. That's not the God who Jesus is and who Jesus reveals to us. The God that we have in Scripture will let us go our own way. He is the Father who will give His Son the inheritance and let Him go off into a far country and waste it. That's the God that we are dealing with in Scripture. He will let us go. And he warned Israel, I'm going to remove my defenses, take the hedge away from it, and here's what's going to happen. And then the prophet prophesied about the Assyrian captivity, the Babylonian captivity, about the captivity, the exile that they would face. Here's what's interesting. He says, uh, I'll remove the walls. It will be eaten up. Uh, the vineyard will be trodden down. It will not be pruned, nor will it be dug up. But there shall come up briars and thorns. The clouds will not rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And here's why. All this is going to happen because I was looking for good grapes and I got sour grapes. Here's what the sour grapes are. He looked for judgment. He looked for good grapes. But behold, he found oppression. He looked for righteousness. But all he heard were cries from the people because of the violence. My brothers and my sisters... We will get back to John in just a minute, but I should make my point very clear before we move on. The waiting ones are the ones who cry out. How are we known as the waiting ones? Because we cry out. We don't stand for, we don't tolerate the corruption and the oppression. We cry out against it. You don't want to be one who cries out. I know it. Because you want to be one who is not making a disruption. You want to be one who is just going with the flow. You, we, we all don't want to be the ones who are crying out. 
because we don't want to make a scene. It requires vulnerability, uh, transparency. I don't want to cry out because, well, what if somebody points out all my flaws? Vulnerability, transparency. It opens us up to ridicule, right? We don't want to disrupt everything. We just want everything to move smoothly. Here's the fact of the matter, though. We live in a world where things need to be disrupted. When you hear somebody treating somebody poorly, you shouldn't just stand by and let it happen. You should cry out against it. Don't you do that. Don't you, don't you take away their dignity and their humanity. They are made in the image of God, and I'm going to stand for them. The ones who are waiting cry out against injustice and oppression on every level. Now, here's what we have in our, in our land today. We have people who grandstand. They don't cry out. They grandstand against certain injustices that they can see and certain oppressions that they can, uh, they can see and, and they can realize and understand. But they don't cry out against all injustice and all oppression. They grandstand. And why do they grandstand? So that, they, so that their political team, it's not even a party anymore, it's a team, right? Because who, which team is going to win? That the political team can identify them. They grandstand. Well, we're just not about that. Yeah, you're not about that, but you're for this, and those two things are even. They cry out. And the Lord says, the Lord says, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. Woe to those who buy up so much land that they are isolating themselves from all their community. Verse number nine says, in my ears, said the Lord of hosts. I've heard the cries, said the Lord of hosts. Remember what he said to Moses back at the burning fiery bush that was not consumed? My people have cried out for deliverance and I've heard their cries. I'm looking for judgment and for righteousness. All I see is oppression, but I hear an outcry from the people. And in my ears, it now rings. And I'm listening to the ones who cry out. Here's the fact. You and I have to cry out. And you might go, okay, where do I start? Let's start with crying out to God. Instead of going to God with these prayers that are all clean, neat, and tidy, that don't disrupt him, that don't question him, that don't doubt him, that don't challenge him, why don't we go to God with some honest prayers? Say, God, I don't know what gives. A dear lady in our church has cancer who has been a faithful servant of you, and she's had to endure a whole lot of heartache all throughout her life. I don't know what gives why this lady has to face cancer now. I'm crying out against the wrongness that she should have cancer. And God says, I hear your cry. Dear God, I don't know why my wife 
had to die. And I'm broken over. And I get good and I get down and I get up and I get down. And I can't get out of the cycle. And God says, I hear your cry. God, I don't know why this person abused me. Why they took their anger and their vitriol and their violence and they hurt me. God, I hate it. And I don't know why I still love them even whenever they hurt me. And God hears the cry. So I would say our cries have to start out to God before they go anywhere else. But God hears it, and in his ears, your cries are ringing out. But if we are going to God, and all we can say is, hey, God, I'm going to tell you all the things that I think you want to hear, and all I think, because the God that I imagine only wants to hear the good stuff. He's like, he's like one of the gods of the Medes and the Persians, who nobody can appear before them with a sorrowful face. Y'all read those stories, right? Right? Nehemiah says, I don't know how I'm going to go before the king and ask him this request because I have to put on a pretty face every time I go to the king because nobody can have a sour countenance before the king. That's how we imagine God so often. And I'm telling you, our God wants you to cry out to him. And you will be known as a waiting one when you are free to cry out to him and say, God, I hate this injustice. We don't have to pretty up America. God bless America. You know what? America is great in a lot of ways, and it's horrible in a lot of ways. Slavery was no good, right? And, and here's the thing. I, can't, I cannot wrap my mind around the people, and, and we all think that at some point, but like, we need to get back, make America great again. When was it great? Because it wasn't great for everybody. And America is not the kingdom. Jesus has promised us a kingdom. Stop trying to make America the kingdom. Stop waiting for America to be great and say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Please, come, Lord. Ukraine, I love my Ukrainian friends. Ukraine doesn't need to be sovereign. That's a hard thing for me to say. For them to experience the freedom, the peace of the kingdom. What they need, they don't need Russia to stop oppressing them. They need Jesus to come again. So, I've preached a little bit and I'm going to be done preaching because I can keep going. And I don't need to keep going. But I want us to see over in John chapter number 14 how Jesus gives us unction to be the ones who cry out. Jesus said in John chapter, I said John chapter 14, I meant John chapter 15. Jesus picked up on this image of the vine and the vine dresser from Isaiah chapter number five. And he says, Israel's not the vine, I'm the vine. Israel produced sour grapes, stink berries. I produce good fruit. Y'all see the connection? It says, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman or the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it or purgeth it so that it might bring forth more fruit. He prunes it so it could bring forth more fruit. 
And Jesus tells his disciples, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. Because you as a branch cannot bear fruit of yourself. You have to abide in the vine. He says, you are the branches. Uh, he said, except to abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Who, whoever abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You will bring forth good fruit. God will look in you and find judgment and righteousness, justice and equity. If you live in Jesus, the fruit that you bear will be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, meekness, self-control. This is the fruit that he wants to see in us. And this is the promise that we have in Jesus. When we continue to keep our eyes on Jesus, he will not find us to be stink berries. In Jesus, you are no stinkberry. Hooray. In Jesus, you are a good grape that will produce the choicest wine. Or for you Baptists, good Dr. Pepper. But here's what Jesus says. He says in verse number seven, if you abide in me and my, my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. I would like to propose a new translation. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall cry out to God. And he will hear you. Am I out of bounds for saying that? You shall ask what you will. You know how we've taken that? Oh, God, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Well, I've never asked for a Mercedes, Macaulay. My father. <laughs> I've never asked for that. But our stuff is so superficial sometimes that we bring to God. Instead of just crying out to him. The waiting ones are known for crying out. They cry out to God and they cry out against corruption, oppression, injustice. See, that's not what we're told. So many of us think because we think that to be good boys and girls, we just go with the flow. The church the church historically has been known to be the ones who are waiting because they cry out. This shall not stand. This shall not stand. And here's what we need to be really clear about. What shall not stand is people not loving people well. That shall not stand. No matter what those people look like. No matter if they have purple hair and bars through their nose. If they have a Beto sign in their front yard. 
they have rainbow stickers on their car. If they're transgender and they say, call me by my pronouns, call them by their pronouns. Love them. Meet them where they're at. You don't have to change them. This shall not stand. That people are not loved well. What will stand for me is to love people well. And I will cry out whenever I see people not being loved the way that God loved them. And what I know about God is that he loves every last one of us. What I know about God is that he loved me whenever I was a broken, ruinous mess before Jesus and even whenever I've been a broken, ruinous mess in Jesus. Right? Amen. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. Help us to be known as the waiting ones. I pray in Christ's name. My brothers and my sisters, now's a fine time for us to cry out. So, that's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you at this time, you, before holy God, you cry out, what is, what is wrong? What is ruinous? What is broken? What are the things that you just can't comprehend? Why they are going on in this world or the things that you know that they're going on and you're sick and tired of them going on? Why don't we bring them to the Lord and say, Lord, please hear our cries. In my ears, I hear your cries. Let's cry out to him right now. And then we'll be dismissed.